and welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm Raven, and I'm here with Andrew, one of our pastors at Providence Church. The goal of this podcast is to form disciples to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Today, we're discussing the theme of sonship. Hey, everyone. Man, I have just something stuck in my throat. Actually, I learned something new yesterday. I learned that when you drink cold beverages, especially in the wintertime, it's actually not great for your digestive system. How come? It causes dampness in the body and it can also cause excess phlegm, which is funny because when I drink smoothies, sometimes it causes like phlegm after I drink it. I didn't realize why. And then someone was telling me that it causes excess dampness in the body and it's actually not good for your body to be drinking cold liquids like that. Okay. First of all, I'm sure people are pumped about the start of this podcast talking about <laughs> phlegm. Second of all, what do you mean when you say dampness in the body? Yeah, well, okay. So I'm very- Aren't you made up of mostly water? Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Okay. This is something that I just learned, but basically- I was talking to someone about it and it's like an ancient Chinese medicinal view of your body and that when you eat foods or drink things that are cold, then it sits in the intestine and the digestive system longer. And then just like a swamp kind of sits there and grows gross and soggy. That's kind of like what it's doing inside your body until it gets to heat up and move through essentially. And Does so your body causes- just naturally heat it up because it's, because you're body is a hotter temperature? I think so. I mean, I don't actually know. Again, this is all really new, but basically that can cause problems with acne and hormone shifts and mood swings and all these things. And so I'm like, interesting. Wow. So are you promoting for people not to drink cold water in the winter? See, but my water is kind of cold and I have this like scratchy frogginess in my throat. So I'm starting to believe it now. Wow, that's well. Maybe that's true. I guess I don't I've never know. heard that. You haven't? Have you? Mm, not the dampness in- <laughs> thing. I don't really drink cold water though. So oh, room that, temperature water. Usually, why? I mean, it's not totally room temperature, so it's out of our like fridge. We have a little okay. like filter thing, so it's kind of cold, but rarely ever with like ice or like really really cold water. Interesting. I feel like that's kind of at it's least... just bad for your body. So I just think I oh, knew yeah, that naturally. Oh yeah, so you just knew. That's hilarious. Do you think you'll be able to make it through this whole episode with your cold water and <laughs> I don't phlegm? Know. The dampness right now? <laughs> I think I'll just keep coughing and also ask <laughs> that the sun intercede for I, me. Well, Actually, is that right? Is that even theologically accurate? The sun interceding for your <laughs> No, it'd be the throat? Holy Spirit? I don't know. Well, we're getting into that today as we talk about the theme of the sun. Not actually getting into that at all. That's not what it is. Well, I mean, we are getting into the theme of the sun. Yeah, exactly. And as you all have known, if you've been following along with us, we've been talking about different themes in the Old Testament so that we can better read and understand the Old Testament. And today we're talking about the theme of sonship. Okay, before we jump into the the sun though, going back to the theme idea, do you feel like as we've been talking about this, that it's been helpful, even in your own mind, as we're looking at these different themes. Because I feel like for me, it has been interesting to try to see these themes throughout the Old Testament. But if our goal, like you just said, is to understand the Old Testament better by seeing these themes, do you feel like that's happening? Or what's your experience as we've been having these conversations? Yeah, great question. I think that for me, it has been really helpful, but specific themes have been extremely helpful. So the theme of covenant was huge for me. And I think it's just because 
I hear about covenants all the time and God's promises, but I didn't necessarily know the lineage of the covenant or his promises to us and how they were all interconnected. But I will say, after going through the outline for this episode, the theme of son really made it click Mm. for me. I don't know what it was, and we'll probably get there, but I finally realized that there are these themes all throughout the Bible, and they're actually purposeful. They're not just happenstance Mm. themes, I don't think. Yeah, and the sonship one you're saying helped you see that on a broader level, so not just with the son, but to help like cement that all these themes are like that? Is that what you're saying? Or is it just with the sun? Yeah, I think it was just with the sun, but then it makes me think, oh, well, these other ones also. The covenant one, I also felt like this was purposeful. Some of the other ones, sometimes I wonder, could we just be reaching and connecting dots? But that wasn't the intention previously. Well, how do you think you know that? Like, okay, are we just making something up? Or is this actually an intentional thing by these authors? Because again, when you're looking at the Old Testament, this is a long time period. Many different authors are piecing all these things together. So either, yeah, they're very intentionally trying to pick up all these themes and threads, or we're reaching for coincidences that happened that we're trying to piece together. So how do we know if it's intentional or not? Personally, it's just whatever the Spirit allows me to understand. Like the covenant, sonship, like I was like, I get that. Like, that just makes sense. It clicks. Whereas some of the other ones, sometimes they don't click. But I don't know how you determine if it's happenstance and we're just connecting dots or if it's actually purposeful. I don't know. What would you say? Well, I think I lean on it being purposeful Mm -hmm. as my default because of a foundational belief of what the Bible is. So if it is God's ultimate word put together through all these different authors, through thousands of years. I think that, you know, we often will say this is one story, it's one, you know, message of redemption, all that kind of stuff. So to me, if we believe that, right, I would say most Christians believe the Bible's one main story that is talking to us about how God redeems people or yeah. saves people or whatever you want to say. Well, then. I think the the logical next step to that, it, it's not so far-fetched to say, well, if it is one story, it makes sense that in, in any good story that's being told, you are picking up different themes and you're mm-hmm. carrying threads throughout. Like really good authors will drop hints early on and they'll pick those back up. They'll kind of leave you hanging in certain points so that they can make the conflict kind of resolved later. That's just what a good author does. And if we believe that about the Bible, it makes sense to me that that's happening then throughout the scriptures. And I think these authors, again, we we can often maybe think about them sometimes as not that, or I don't know, maybe it's just me, not that intelligent or like yeah. not, or we hear, you know, in Acts, it talks about how the apostles were unlearned men and whatever. And we kind of take that and run with it. Like, oh yeah, these guys were just normal, whatever. Mm-hmm. But they actually are, like you just look literarily These books are very sophisticated, whether it's poetry or the prophetic books or how they write stories. I mean, it's so intricate. And you can see that in each book. Then it would make sense to me that part of this is that they're making all these connections too. And so I do think we can reach for some things, but there's certain ways that either stories are told or phrases that are used that feel so similar to before that I just lean on that as a default unless we're kind of proven otherwise. Yeah, and I think I'm moving toward that because 
I originally just defaulted to, oh, God tied all of these books together and this whole story together and created the Bible rather than the fact that there are certain things that were purposefully written or put together or talked about. And the more and more we talk about it, I feel like the more and more I learn and then get more exposure to the Bible. And then I think, oh, that's actually a lot more purposeful than I thought, which is kind of what you're saying. I personally didn't grow up with that understanding of the Bible at all in a Christian home or in my church. And so this has been like, honestly, revolutionary in some ways and kind of hard for me to grasp a little bit. Yeah, no, totally. And it is hard to get your mind around it and it takes a long time for it to sink in. Mm -hmm. So you can talk about covenant and you'll see that word pop up a few times, but until you really understand what a covenant is, then you start to see not just that word that appears a number of times, but the idea of a covenant, what that is, what that means. And you start to see, like we use the word like shadows. You can see these shadows of it or like little hints of it or whatever throughout. And it just takes time to learn about the theme and the concept and then to go back and read with that in mind and start seeing it pop up, which I think you do with these themes. It just takes a long time. So even over the last, whatever, couple months that we've been doing this, we're basically just like prompting the the theme broadly and showing where it is kind of in overt places. But the goal of that, like we said at the beginning, is to get people back into their Old Testament to start understanding these things and seeing it all over. Because I really do think the themes that we picked, and there's, I mean, depending on the list that you have, I mean, there's dozens, even a hundred different themes that you could look at that are, you know, they vary in how important and how prominent they are in the Old Testament. So we're picking come kind of the big ones, but I, I think that they are helpful to start to piece the whole Old Testament together as one story, and it kind of helps you, I think, just keep going in the Old Testament because it doesn't feel like a bunch of random mm-hmm. stories that you yeah. kind of have to get through to learn a couple things about God before you can really get to Jesus. Totally. It's really showing you this whole story is building to the conflict resolution and the climax, which is Jesus. Completely. Yeah. I didn't even know that sonship was a theme until this. And then as we started studying it, I thought, oh, wait, this makes tons of sense. But I just never saw it. And I think that's why it clicked for me because I went, oh, all of those stories aren't just happenstance, random stories with isolated truths they kind of all link together and point to christ yeah so that was really cool yeah well let's get into it so give like some background just on the idea so you said obviously i'm guessing you heard the idea of son or jesus as Mm -hmm. the son or whatever what would you say initially your concept of that was before like actually looking into all the different places in the old testament you see the son how would you have described either the importance of jesus being a son or just that idea of sonship at all? Yeah, I would have just said that probably something basic that Jesus is God's only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The fact that he's a son just even reminds us of the beautiful relationship that we can have with the father as children, but we're also co-heirs with Christ. So I would kind of just beat around the bush a little bit and just kind of say, well, that's kind of what I think. But there is a question that Andrew had asked me, which was, what do you think of when you hear the idea of a theme of the son in the Bible? And then I started thinking and I was like, oh, well, I think of Abraham and Isaac, right? Mm -hmm. Abraham is asked by God to sacrifice his son, but then God 
provides a ram in Isaac's place. And then I also think about, for some reason, Hagar and Ishmael, mm. which I don't know if people would normally think about yeah. that, but that's like <laughs> another son relationship yep. that's prominent. That's a story. And then I think about Joseph and his colorful coat. This one was funny because I wasn't expecting to think about this, but he's the youngest and his dad favored him. And then his brothers rose up and sold him into slavery. And then he ends up saving their lives. So those are the stories that I think of when I think of sonship, but that's pretty much it. Well, it is interesting that the stories you mentioned are from Genesis, which that is a theme. It's one of the main themes through Genesis because so God creates Adam and Eve which I feel like in all these themes, you you like have to start in Genesis one through three. That's like the basis of all of this. So you have this creation that they're supposed to multiply, fill the earth with these new image bearers of God. Well, they sin, Genesis three. The promise that God makes to them is that there is going to be this enmity or this conflict between the serpent and his offspring mm-hmm. and the woman and her offspring. And that there's going to be this son or this offspring that comes from Eve, that will one day defeat the serpent. In a lot of ways, that's the conflict in the Bible that has to get resolved. So there's the serpent Mm. that has led the initial humans away from God, and there's going to be a son or an offspring from Eve that is going to crush the serpent and bring people back to God. And then the Bible kind of goes from there. And what's interesting is immediately, what do you see in Genesis 4? Well, it's a story about two sons. You see Cain and Abel, and you start to see this line begin where then the rest of Genesis really is this story of sons and this family line. And again, we can kind of look back on this as thousands of years ago, you know, the the beginning of the world kind of story. But think about if this is real and you have this family that's being told, hey, you're going to have this like this bad line, this line of the serpent, the line of the deceiver, the one who's going to lead people away from God, and you're going to have a son that's going to bring people back and be the good offspring. Well, think about anytime you have a child, you're going to think, okay, which son is this? And it sets it up consistently as a son that's not going to be in the line of the promise and a son that is. You have Cain and Abel, and later on, you, you mentioned Abraham. So you, you have this promise remade to Abraham. And then you have Ishmael, who's not a son of the promise, but Isaac, who is. And then you have Jacob and Esau. And you have Esau, who's not a son of the promise, but Jacob is. And there's so many interesting components to that because Jacob, his name means deceiver. Hmm. That's what the serpent did. He, he like he shouldn't be the one, but God chose to use him hmm. and his line. So there's all these like complex things that's working out ultimately to Joseph and the twelve. You know, the twelve sons of Jacob with Joseph, and he's consistently working through these family lines and these sons, which in some ways is kind of the theme of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Like you're looking at who is going to be the one that's actually going to be the line of the woman, the son who's going to beat the serpent, the deceiver, those who lead people away from God. Which is so cool because that's the thing that kind of blew my mind a little bit of everything is just so purposeful mm-hmm. and it's not just a fabricated story, but they're actual true stories. And God was using those people and those sons in order to teach us a lesson. And now we get to read that today and understand it more deeply but a lot of us miss it because we don't even know that's there. Yeah. Well, and that's the that's the key part, I think, about why Genesis 1 through 3. I know every episode we keep going back to it, but it's why it's so important because that really is, again, in our, I think when we talked about the narrative, we talked about the narrative arc and how you have the setting 
and then you have some sort of conflict. Well, again, if the Bible, not just each book, but if the Bible as a whole is a story, you have the setting in the Garden of Eden, this like perfect world where Adam and Eve get to be with God. They get to live together. They get to fill the earth with image bearers of God. Everything is glorifying him, thriving, flourishing life for humans. And then this conflict happens in Genesis 3, and that conflict has to get resolved. Uh, we're going to talk about this in the next episode, but they get kicked out of the garden. So they don't. They no longer get this like unique place with God's presence and the promises that someday a son is going to come who's going to right all of these wrongs that just happened. And the whole Old Testament is what we've said. It's, it's a leading up to who's going to be the one to fulfill this promise. And again, in God's you know, div- divine wisdom, he chose to use this idea of a son mm-hmm. who then gets played out consistently throughout the rest of the Old Testament, but primarily in Genesis. You just see that over and over again, which is something new for me recently to see the, the two lines and how... I've heard those stories before. I've heard of Cain and Abel. I've heard of Isaac and Ishmael. I've heard of Jacob and Esau. You hear those things, but then when you go back to see, oh, there's these two sons and offspring of the serpent and the woman, that that is the conflict. Like there's these two lines that are going to be a conflict. It makes sense then again, this is a smart author to give you all these story of two sons, one who's deceiving, who's wicked, who's evil, and one who while still is a sinner, because all those stories don't paint Isaac or Jacob right. or even Joseph or whoever or Judah who is mm. ultimately going to be the line of Jesus there's a horrible story about Judah in Genesis so he's not saying they're perfect but it does show you God's faithfulness to bring a son through sinful people to actually redeem his people and bring them back to this Eden-like state with him mm. okay so when you mentioned Genesis three fifteen, and you're talking about God saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. They will strike at your head while you strike at their heel. Is striking at their head basically meaning that they will prevail? Or where is the idea that like God's chosen people will prevail mentioned in the garden? I think, yeah, I think the idea there between the head and the heel, I don't totally know. I haven't studied it a ton but my thought is is yes to your question of I think that idea is that while while the line of the serpent will in some ways be a snare, like for some reason it makes me think of like little dogs. I remember this is a weird analogy maybe, but I remember my grandparents when I was a lot younger, they had this little puppy. They mm-hmm. they bought this, I don't even know what kind of dog it was, but they bought this puppy and it was a like stereotypical puppy, what you think of like just it nipped at everything. And because yeah. it was so little, it really would, it would just like get around your legs and just kind of like bite you a little bit, just mm-hmm. either playfully or whatever, because it, it's a dog. That's kind of <laughs> the image of like that hurt a little bit. You know, there's something there as this dog's like trying to bite you, um, yeah. but it's not crushing me as a human being. Right. So there is going to be this, this consistent like biting at your heel. Like they're always going to be this line of of the serpent that's going to be a problem mm. for God's people. But at some point, that serpent will be crushed. Like his head will actually mm. be crushed. And you think about what is more damaging, you know, your your heel getting either crushed or bitten or whatever, or your head being crushed. I think the mm. imagery there is you will be a problem for God's line, but ultimately there will be an offspring or there'll be a son that comes who will crush the serpent. And all, I think that's symbolic for all deception, evil, wickedness, 
exile from God, like all the things that happen now because of mm-hmm. sin and what the the serpent and his line will do will one day be crushed by the sun. That's good. And I think that's helpful too, because I was sitting there thinking, okay, wait, how do we know that we're looking for, you know, God's line or the line that will come back and basically prevail over evil? But I think that's helpful. Okay, so we mentioned Genesis and how we kind of see that idea of sonship play throughout Genesis. But what about the other books of the Bible? Where do we see it play out there? Yeah, so the idea of son, I think, again, is throughout most of the Old Testament. Like, so Genesis is a great example of you see it and you can just read Genesis as these different stories about these families or whatever, but it's actually this theme that's getting carried out. So if you think the theme of sonship is about who is going to be the one that crushes the enemies of God, whether it be the serpent, whether it be wickedness and evil, whether it be people who hate God or against his will, whatever, that's what the son is supposed to do in Genesis 3.15. You see that starting to play out in Genesis. When you get to Exodus, God begins to form a more formal relationship with this family. So this promise through Abraham, they turn into the people of Israel. He tells Israel actually in Exodus 4.22 that Israel is his firstborn son, which is interesting. So now this promise, it looks like it's not just one person, but it's becoming these people of Israel. And again, that means they are going to be the people of God who are going to defeat evil and injustice and unrighteousness and deception and all of that stuff. Well, they don't do that very well. And so in Psalm, another beautiful Psalm, Psalm 2, it's kind of an introduction to all the Psalms. God says that he is going to set his son over all the nations. So he's, he's picking this theme back up. And now he's saying this son is going to be like a king. So he's going to rule over the nations and he's going to rule in like justice and righteousness. And so he's basically saying, okay, Israel has not succeeded at this. So he's going to pick this like royal kingly line, which leads us to King David. And he promises David, and, and we talked about this in the covenant episode. He says, I'm going to give you a son and I'm going to call him my son, and he's going to be the one who's going to lead. So, and then it just keeps carrying on throughout the Old Testament. But you see that he keeps this promise of there's going to be a son or an offspring that is going to be the one from Abraham, from David, that's going to one day kill the serpent, defeat all the enemies of God. And then we talked about Matthew 1, 2. You turn to Matthew 1. And it immediately says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And so right away, Matthew's telling you that promise from Genesis 3.15, the one that God kept filling out over the whole Testament, the one that they were longing for, this offspring that would finally come. Matthew says at the very beginning of his book, that's who Jesus is. And then the rest of Matthew is basically explaining how he is this king, the one true offspring from Abraham, and who is the son who's going to defeat the serpent. Yeah, which I now love the genealogy in Matthew. Love the genealogies now. I feel like it's just Do you so love the ones helpful. in the Old Testament too? Or just um, the one in Matthew? Honestly. That's a good start. It's a yeah. good start for us to love that one. Baby steps, yes. baby steps. But I do think that's helpful. And it is cool just seeing how there is a theme all throughout and God continues to keep his promise through a lineage of sons. Yeah. Which is cool. And I think it, it builds 
depth around why we talk about Jesus as the son. If you now notice it, you go read through the gospels and you'll see it all over the place where it talks about him being the son. And that's not just the idea that he is God, the son. So he, that, that is his identity uh, within the Trinity, but he's also fulfilling this idea of sonship that was being traced throughout the whole Testament. So them calling him the son, it is a Trinitarian like identity statement that he is God eternal in God, the son, but it's also saying in a lot of places that he is the son of God. He's the true one that has come to be the one who crushes Satan, the one who brings people back to God. And that's his, that's his identity is the offspring of woman that will defeat the offspring of the serpent. Mm-hmm. Which then getting practical, how does that then apply to us when we think about God, the son and his relationship to us? Well, the very first thing that maybe for our listeners feels obvious, but it makes Jesus the point of this whole story. Mm -hmm. Because if the conflict of the story is we need a son who will come from a woman, be human, but also defeat the serpent, and you have the whole Old Testament showing that there is no one who can actually Mm -hmm. do that, when Jesus comes onto the scene, it makes him the point. And it's saying... The conflict of the story of the Bible is now going to find its climax when Jesus defeats the serpent, which he does in part on the cross. And then one day, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about how he will finally defeat all of his enemies in one day to come. And so it's it's telling you that he really is the point of this whole story. And, and again, we talk about that a lot, so that may feel kind of obvious. But if you wonder, how do we actually know? that the whole Bible is pointing to Jesus. You can just see it through these themes. We say this over and over again. How is this theme finally resolved? It's resolved in the person of Jesus. And so for us, when you're reading your Bible, it's why Jesus is the point. And when you think about the redemption and the story of history, maybe one practical thing for us is, I don't know if you've ever had conversations with people where they ask, okay, is Jesus really the only way to God? You know, that type of question. Well, if the actual conflict and problem is that there are these two lines and the the resolution is going to be one son who comes to actually defeat Satan and bring people back to God. Well, it's not just that Christians want to be exclusive and we want to say, well, our way is the only way. We're saying the way that human history is laid out is that there's going to be one son who defeats evil and wickedness and can bring people back to God. And the Bible is just very clear that one is Jesus and it has to be Jesus. He's the only one who can actually do it. And so it gives, again, we can make those arguments, but this is kind of the basis for those arguments. It's it's more than just saying, you know, we believe in Jesus and other people should too. We're really saying that the problem in human history is that people have followed in deception and wickedness and evil, like the serpent. And we somehow need to be brought back to God through a victory over the serpent. And who can do that? What's the son? It's Jesus. And so that gives us reasons for believing that Jesus is the point or that he's the only way to fix the problem of sin and brokenness. Thank you for joining us today. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Please like this, rate it, review it, share it so that it can get out to more people. If you have any questions, email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. We'll see you next week.